We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Okay, I'm starting recording now. Testing one, two. Colette's going to be ringing me any minute. Critter Shed coming at you from Dublin Zoo and from Tala through the magic of audio and I'm going to call Collie Ennis now. So, press call. Hello. Collie, how's it going? How are you? I'm good. On a windy spring day. Oh my God, the wind is unbelievable. It is just billowing through our windows here. It's certainly uh, setting the frogs off anyway. There's frogs spawning everywhere, all over the country. It's really kicking off. So. Oh my God. It's a wonderful vibrant start to the spring after a pretty drawn out and depressing winter for us all. It's nice to see our froggy pals starting to make their way back to the ponds. I have something that I want to talk about today and it is related to something new that's happening in our house. So what I'm going to do is rather than tell you what's happening, why don't I show you? So I'm going to walk over into my kitchen. Okay. Here I am walking into my kitchen. Now this might shock some people, but just bear with me, okay? Just bear with me. So uh, normally at this time, there's usually a couple of cats in here, very, very excited and very, very interested because we have some new residents in our household. Um, And I'm standing in front of the fridge. The fridge itself is standing on top of a cupboard. And if I just reach down and open the cupboard door, Inside, you will notice, it's an old Formica cupboard, you'll notice a bowl of water and a bowl of cat food. All right. And it's not for the cats. Okay, so who's eating the cat food? We have mice. Mice, mice. (laughs) I know, we have mice. Brilliant. You're taking care of these mice, I see, yeah. Not like most people would. We are, we are. Brilliant. Yeah, because I just thought, look, we don't live near anyone else, anyone who's human, that is. And... I get fed up with people demonizing certain animals because of what they do to humans or what we think they do to us or whatever sort of feelings they engender in us. But I just feel that um, mice are amazing creatures and I really want to get to know a bit more about them. Like, what are they as animals? What do they like? What do they not like? What are their adaptations? How do they evolve? You know, are they a successful species? Clearly they are. Why are they such a successful species? But also they're animals. And um, I sort of want to know what they like, what they eat, what they don't eat. Well. Plus it's great enrichment for our cats. Now I don't allow our cats to hunt them well. It's not that I don't allow them to hunt them. You hope the mice are smart enough not to get hunted. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> totally, yeah. And and this is not, you know, this is not the Roman games. We're not going back to our Roman games episode where I'm going to set the mice up in a coliseum <laughs> and let the cats at them. Yeah, I hear you. But, um, you know, every time I come in here, there's usually one cat sort of just sitting in front of the cupboard when it's closed, staring at it because all the smells that are coming out of there, which I don't smell, but which they smell, yeah. are just real, incredible, wonderful enrichment for them so they're keeping our cats busy you know yeah and they're probably hearing all that little scratching going on in the cupboards and yeah the 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 movement of the baby mice Mm. (laughs) i think mice are pretty cool so i would love you to tell me more about who they are what they are how they evolved and all that sort of stuff i'm very fond of mice myself i've always had pet mice at one stage or another sometimes for for using them for feeders as i have to unfortunately but i've always had them and I've always had like very friendly pet mice. They're really charming, beautiful little creatures. Very, very, uh, they're great pets. Very clean, believe it or not. Mm. 
Very smart. Very smart. Very smart. Uh, the males can tend to smell a little bit, but uh, that's only because they do. They, they're marking their territory. And it's easy actually got rid of if you feed them a little bit of uh, vanilla extract in their water. It really helps the, the smell of their wee. So maybe put some of that in. Really? Yeah, it does work actually. Vanilla flavoured mouse wee. Oh my God. Vanilla extract. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really nice. It really is good. Yeah, mice are fascinating creatures. They, they they actually are native to India, believe it or not, are house mice that we see, and they, they followed humanity across the globe. As we moved from one area of the planet to another, especially as we started to increase our agriculture, that's when the mice really took hold with us. And, and actually, mice and cats go hand in hand. So agriculture, you get stores of grain, you attract in mice to become more or less dependent on, on the human settlements where they live. And then you get cats who have to be brought in to hunt the mice. And then you get domestic cats because of that. So it's a very interesting kind of uh, progression with the two species becoming so closely associated with humans. So uh, yeah, really interesting uh, little animals. Um, the mice originated in India yeah and the reason that they're now here in Ireland in my particular house is because they followed humans across the globe humans of course gave them great opportunities to to feed and allow them to be successful so what are my guys so I, I actually never see the mice that are living in our cupboard I mean I see I see what they leave. They leave little bits of poop everywhere. I see what they eat because I have a, a, we have a little bowl. Actually, you'd love this. We have one of your little um, shallow bowls, you know, that you use for your reptiles for water. Yes, yes. And we put in different varieties of food. And Leo, of course, does this every night and he's he's very aesthetically aware. So he has these beautiful patterns. It's almost like um, one of those Japanese gardens, you know, lovely patterns of different grains <laughs> and, and all sorts of seeds and stuff. And also cat food, so dried cat food. So over the last several months that they've been here, uh, we've actually sort of gotten to know what they eat. But what I would love to know is what do they get up to when I'm not around? Well, the answer to that is probably not much. <laughs> are they active during the day or are they active during the night? They're active mostly at night and, you know, in, in, in dawn and dusk where they'd be most safe. They sleep 12 hours a day, so they have a very relaxing existence. Uh, the males and the females are quite easy to tell apart. If you were to see a male, for example, walking across and it was around the time where he was about to perform his duties as a male and, and produce more little mice, you'll see a fantastic big set of balls hanging out the back of his oh, wow. backside under his tail. Yeah, so wow. very easy to tell a male, uh, but they can be retracted as well. Okay, You'll be able to tell male from females. Um, here's a very fancy term. <laughs> There's a anogenital distance between the the anus opening and the reproductive organs and you can just lift the tail up okay and even if his balls are retracted you'll be able to tell well there's a good big gap there so that's a male yeah and they'll, they'll average uh, some mice will have obviously obviously pet mice and laboratory mice will have a lot bigger litters of, of baby mice than the ones in the wild because they've been bred specifically like that but mice, mice will still have mm. between four and ten to twelve oh, wow. babies and they'll be able to oh. reproduce in a couple of months yeah. and they'll be able to have loads of babies. So you can see how they, when they get into areas like Australia, um, they're, a, they're a big kind of a issue with mice when they get into grain stores and stuff because they just talk about explosive population growth. It's insane how fast they go. And it's in, even in an area like your, your kitchen there, mm. it wouldn't be long before you would actually get so many mice if you were if you had the continuous supply of food and and continuous supply of water that they would just <coughs> which they do they, <laughs> they, they, they become <laughs> they become an issue because uh the food wouldn't be enough and the water wouldn't be enough so then the you know the, mm. the walls and the electrical cables have to be nibbled and right. <laughs> that's 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 the uh, that's the only thing but an amazingly successful species and we're specifically talking about house mice here there's other uh, we have native species of mice as well and we've even a very interesting um, 
species of mouse that's been introduced to Kildare in, in Ireland, which we have in, in Europe, and that's the dormouse. So it's, uh, oh, yeah. They're the very beautiful little gorgeous looking little mice aren't they yeah the little ones where you we you'll see them uh kind of red curled up with a furry tail prehensile tail and mm. um, they came in on bales of, of straw into the the cur where a lot of people breed horses and oh, right. spread out from there so and this is the thing with mice and it's the same with the house mice they are so successful at stowing away on human transport and on boats and on in people's cars and everywhere that they that they get moved around in and once they get settled into a place they really really kind of uh, explode in numbers when i look into the cupboard there i mean I, I honestly don't know where they get in and out like there's no obvious chewed out hole or something that they get in and out there is a tiny little gap between say the the formica shelf and the, the wall because there isn't a wall on the cupboard itself. It's just, you know, straight up against the wall of the kitchen. So, like, how small of a space or a gap can they actually move through? Very small. So it's in direct relation to the size of their skull. And if you're to hold a mouse skull in your hand, it's not much bigger than a pea, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, yeah it's really small, really tiny. The, the four and the, the musculature and the, the flesh around, a, 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 even an adult mice, uh, mice's mouses mice's I have to I've never figured <laughs> that out somebody somebody hit us up on Twitter and teach Colm how to speak English um, <laughs> on an adult mouse's head uh, the skull it, it's quite small like I mean and the average size now again we're thinking about when people think about mice they think about white lab mice they think mm. about the lovely coloured pet mice that you'll mm. see they're huge in comparison to wild mice huge right wild mice are very very small um, they wouldn't obviously have the same nutritional you know advantages that captain mice have so you do only get these very small little creatures with these tiny skulls yeah and as you could see if you put one with the slightest of gap anywhere they'll be able to squeeze through it like i lifted my toaster um about two months ago and there was four mice underneath it no. my toast just flat to the counter really? of the uh, of the yeah 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 we're, we're, it's an annual thing in my house where we get an invasion of mice they just seem to come because right i feed the boards uh in the back garden the wild boards and you're always going to get seeds that spill onto the floor and around the area mm. so you're just going to get serious numbers of mice but there's you know as you said there's ways of catching them that's very humane we don't use poisons anybody out there please 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 do not use uh rodenticides or any poisons for rats or mice because they are devastating for wildlife the, the amount of owls and foxes and uh, other you know uh, birds of prey that we lose because uh, and, and even like domestic cats and, and dogs will pick up yeah. Plus, we would always be on the side of humane uh, solutions. But let's let's not talk about them as a as a, a so-called yeah you know pest species because I really just want to celebrate them for what they are. Exactly. They're just doing what they do, and that's the most important thing to remember. Like they are just they are behaving behaving in, in an appropriate manner for them to survive, and it's been so successful for them. It's been crazy amount of success. Um, when you say they're quite small, Kali, I saw them on. Um, our windowsill and I was really surprised by how small they were like if, if I scrunch up my palm the mouse would fit into the center of my palm so they really really are quite small very dainty little creatures very very small and mm, very pretty very beautiful yeah they are and you wouldn't notice them until as I said when the numbers get bigger they get braver and they start to venture out more so it, it you know if you had one mouse in your house you probably wouldn't notice it for ages it's only when that one mouse <laughs> gets a few friends in that's when you start to see them more and you'll see them like i see them under the board feeders just like you were saying there like coming out and mm. picking up bits and pieces of food and then and, and wandering off so very nice to watch uh, and a lot easier to watch if you weren't living in an in urban area because like, I have no problem with mice, to be honest, which I think they're fine. As long as they're outside the house, they can do what they want. But a lot of people don't feel the same way, mm. unfortunately. But there you go. Mm. They are just part of nature at this stage. They are. I had a very traumatic experience when I was a kid. My dad was standing out in the front garden in his bare feet, you know, having a smoke. Yeah. And um, he walked out and he saw a mouse asleep on the pathway. And his natural reaction was to lift up his foot and smash, his, smash it down on the mouse. Oh, God. And I, I, st 
I haven't gotten over that. You know, what do you don't want to portray them as pest species? <laughs> this is like post-traumatic stress for you now. Oh my God. I have to be very careful about how I portray them now in this conversation. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh my God. Well, we mentioned the fact that uh, the places they've gone where they haven't been so welcome. Like what? So on uh, uh, an island in the South Atlantic called Gough Island, there's uh, albatross species out there, uh, the, the Tristian albatross. They're massive. The adult chicks are huge, like gigantic dog-sized birds. Wow. But mice were introduced to the island. And it's really interesting from an evolutionary point of view. Again, it's not the mice fault. These are... People brought them in on boats by accident. Mice arrived in the 19th century and quickly multiplied, but then ran out of food. And now what's happened is the mice have gone from eating seeds and, and plants and the usual stuff that mice would, would like to uh, munch on. They started actually nibbling away in groups on the albatrosses. Oh. So it's really interesting. They've, they've evolved into bigger animals. Wow. They have a whole new way of behaving. And they're basically slowly turning into um, these kind of meat-eating monster mice. Wow. Which, it's tragic for the albatross, but it really is interesting to see a, an animal that reproduces quickly, that's brought into a new habitat, that can do this, you know, crazy kind of fast evolutionary steps from becoming a very small, diminutive creature into a chunkier, more vicious version of itself in order to survive in a new area. So no wonder it's such a successful species. Yeah, and the same thing happened in New Zealand. They started eating lizards and, and, and native insects. They're actually a really big problem in, in New Zealand. But any island that mice have arrived onto, they've had to adapt and overcome all these difficulties. So it, it is fascinating to see how they can change their behavior and how adaptive they are as, as a species. They're really underrated. And again, one of these animals, like we always try to promote in the critter shed, stuff that you wouldn't think much of it's just a mouse mm. but um they're not really they're really really mm. interesting and fascinating and, and, creatures and diverse even just house mice themselves you know how they've gotten around you think about it they're nearly on every continent i'm pretty sure a couple would show up <laughs> in the antarctic and the arctic uh, scientific laboratories down there stowaways in somebody's luggage and just starts to uh to live on uh, in, in these isolated places. I'm sure if we start going to other planets, mm. mice will be one of those big stowaways with humanities. I guarantee you that we, <laughs> they'll make their way on board somehow and get away. Well, we'll be seeing them on Mars pretty soon. You'll just see this beautiful little pair of eyes and pair of ears peering into the Perseverance rover. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> Do you know they actually use, so um, here's an, an interesting little fact. When you're watching your mice on the, on the windowsill and they're using, um, they're, they're going to get the food. Have you seen them use their tail as a, as a balancing tool? Oh, I haven't. No, I haven't been able to observe them that closely. They start, it's usually dark when they're out and I can't always see them. Yeah, so the tail, they're actually, it's kind of like a, another limb for them as in like it helps them when they're climbing up. If you watch them, they climb up rope. Uh, you know, washing lines and cables and, and pipes. Yeah, that's amazing. And they'll have that tail used as a balancing tool. If they're leaning one way, they'll switch the tail the other side and vice versa. If they need to do a thing called tripoding, and this is especially important for male mice when they're having these little jostles over territory or females, they'll actually do what, uh, kind of like what bears do, I suppose would be the best way to describe it. They'll stand up on their back legs, but they'll use their tail as a prop to give them that little bit more uh, oomph and lift them up off the ground and kind of give them that little scarier and bigger appearance. So that's fascinating as well. Tripoding, that's called. That makes sense. So three three legs, two back legs and a tail. Yeah, tripoding. It's, uh, it's an, a really cool little trick to do. In hotter climates, tails are longer. And in colder climates, the tails are shorter. And that's to do with thermal regulation. Again, how adaptable are these little creatures? So thermal regulation, that means basically controlling the heat of the body. Mice are mammals, they're warm-blooded like ourselves. 
But if they are in Norway or if they are in, you know, North America up in, in the colder regions during the colder year, months, or maybe it's always cold where they are, it wouldn't pay for them to have a very long tail because it will get frostbitten and it will get infected or it will just, it will just, and it will also lose a lot of that heat that they need to stay alive. Right. So generation upon generation, the mice with the tails that are short will live longer, reproduce more, and then you'll get a shorter tail. On the opposite end of the scale there, in the heat, the tail is used to dissipate the heat, mm. actually like having a, a, <laughs> a fan heater attached to their body, to their backside. It has blood vessels that all the blood runs down into it. It has more blood vessels than in mice in colder regions, and that allows all that blood to go down and cool off, and the, uh, the mice can just use that tail just to cool themselves down in very hot climates and they'll actually have bigger ears in those areas too for the same purpose so it's it's, it's again showing how adaptable they are yeah it really really is amazing wow that's extraordinary and also speaking of scales their tails are actually scaly aren't they i was surprised to learn that recently yeah, very much so. And it looks kind of like, and you know, you can upscale it and see it a lot easier if you look at a rat's tail, but it's the same. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. And again, that hairless part of the body and the length of it, it is it, used a lot in thermal regulation. And because it has, you know, it's, it's scaly and has a lot less hair than the furry body. I think it's much more effective. Yeah, it's really, really effective. Now, a bit of myth busting we need to do, I think. Right. Talk to me about mice and cheese. Yes. <laughs> they don't particularly like cheese, no. So that's one of those things. I think I, I was saying this episode, we should definitely put in as well the, the famous speech from Catch Me If You Can about the two mice that fell into a bucket of milk. It's an amazing speech. Two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he churned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. <laughs> but yeah, they don't, they don't uh, like cheese as much as the cartoons would have led us to believe and the movies have led us to believe. Right. Tom and Jerry have a lot to answer for, don't they? Yeah, exactly. In fact, if I'm having a population explosion of mice in my garden and I need to get them down to the daughter, which I where I will release them, um, what I'll use is the the they're kind of they're tilt traps, basically. So mm. it's like a seesaw, and what you put on the end of it, so basically it's a tube that's like a seesaw. Yeah. The mouse runs into the end of the tube to get the food, it flips over and he's trapped inside and you can release them. And the best bait for them is chocolate or <gasps> peanut butter they go mad for it wow it's like crack from mice it's unbelievable they, they absolutely adore it yeah so it's a really really good uh, way of capturing them and letting them go then and that's what they that's what the sort of stuff they like but their diet is as i said they go from eating grains to albatrosses literally they can eat and survive on so much different varieties of food it's it's mm. you know it's incredible they are incredibly adaptable when it comes to their diet and they do well on very, very little. They can survive in, in such barren areas by chewing on roots and bark and really crappy, very, very nutritiously poor diets. Or they can do as well living off the scraps of our McDonald's and discarded stuff around the place. So, yeah, very, very adaptable creatures. Yeah, well, our gang here... They are particularly fond of kibble, like dry cat food. Yes. So we'll have a little dish. We fill it with grains and also the cat kibble. And that's what goes first. So they're very neat when they actually come in to eat. They'll just nibble consistently through one portion or one side of the dish. So they leave this beautifully sort of round gap the next morning. Um, and I'm wondering, like, are they taking that away? Are they eating it or are they taking it away to, to store it as well? Like, they just seem to take a lot of food every night. Yeah, so if they're, if they're, if they're nesting down, sometimes they will. Sometimes they'll eat it in situ. If they are out in the open, you'll see them kind of... They, they can't gather seeds the way our hamster pals can. Who, we like stuffing their cheeks. But yeah, yeah, the old pals. We should do hamsters someday. They're fascinating creatures. But... Um, uh, they, they will kind of gather up food in an area and, and store it for rainy days as well. So 
again it, it depends on where the food is and and because your mice are living in a very dark and secure cupboard they probably know that it's safe enough so they could just eat in situ and without without worrying about the cats getting through there yeah yeah they're crazy brave though isn't it like i mean you have to imagine they must you know have some big balls on them to be <laughs> staying in the cat in a cat house three massive predators in our house well three massive compared compared to their own body size like our cats are huge of course they're dinosaurs to them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and i do be thinking the same because i'm like uh, you know especially when i come into the shed and i know there's a, a mouse creeping around it here and there's 20 odd snakes <laughs> And you just think to yourself, that's one, that's the James Bond of mice here. That's that, that fella is going to go back and have a serious amount of fun with the lady mices because this guy has the biggest balls of any mouse that's ever existed. And that's why I prefer to capture them alive because it's like, if you have the stones on you to come into a snake shed <laughs> to grab some kibble from a bag, yeah, you deserve, you deserve to at least live the year of your life that you're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the name's Squeaky. <laughs> the name's Squeaky Mouse. <laughs> Amazing. I tell you, our Comrie impressions <laughs> need some work. There you go. Uh, so um, tell me more about their adaptations. Like, I have this thing about whiskers, which are particularly fantastic adaptations and lots of different animals. So how do mice in particular use their whiskers? Very much the same way uh, as a lot of animals use them. It's a, it's a sensory device that we, it's hard to describe and to think of as a human, but the, the mice will use them for judging distance in a very dark area they might be able to see, but be able to touch the walls or the roof of a, a place using their whiskers because they spread it right away around from their face and they can judge whether they can squeeze through a certain crack just by using those wonderful senses on their face. I have some factoids about whiskers. Boom, go ahead. Hit me up. Well, I myself and my my lovely cat Ted were doing some research for this this video series that we had called Science with Ted, and we were talking about the adaptations of cats. And um, whiskers are one of the most fascinating things that I've come across because, as you say, they use them as a sort of sensory organ. Mm. So the whiskers are known as vibrissae, which means tactile hair. Yes, and they're actually hair, but they're much thicker, more rigid, and longer than the hairs on the rest of the body. Yeah. And it's surrounded by sensors, by nerve endings. Mm. So any time that whisker is moved, even just a little bit, it's actually activating those nerve endings and sending all sorts of information to your brain. So every time my cat, or in this case, the mouse, goes through an area where the whiskers are moved, it's getting information from that environment and sending it back to the brain. So it's almost like having... You know how your fingertips are so sensitive? It's almost like having fingertips half an inch or an inch or three inches or whatever it happens to be removed from your face. And I've discovered, for example, that um, in sea lions or seals, the whiskers are so sensitive that they can actually feel fish breathing. So when fish are sort of passing water through their gills, they're creating these micro ripples in the water, which are actually picked up by the seals through their whiskers, which is mind boggling. It's such a, a strange thing to think about. It. And the fact that like, so if you go back far enough in time, most mammals will look like mice or shrews mm. at one stage in their evolution, because basically everything was dead on the planet. And you had these small little mouse-like creatures with whiskers that survived and evolved into the myriad of mammals that we have nowadays. Mm. And I always think when people talk about whiskers is the sea lions and the amazing sensitivity that they have because yeah. just to be able to pick up those vibrations in the water. and Incredible. And if you open a door in a darkened room and you uh, there's a gust of wind, well, it's not a gust of wind to us, but a sm that slight movement of the door, your foot hitting the floor, the vibrations of that for a mouse mm. is like somebody hitting an alarm bell. And that gives them that split second to move, you know. So they're, mm. they're a wonderful uh, defensive uh, mechanism, a wonderful mechanism for discovering and, and feeling the world around you. So, yeah, I wish I had a pair of whiskers sometimes. There you go. <laughs> my whiskers aren't that sensitive. My whiskers, the only thing my whiskers is good for is for sieving Guinness lately. But that's, that's, that's another thing. Just <laughs> catching pints in my mouth. 
But uh, yeah, and my my whiskers are starting to get the winter plumage as well. I've got a lot of grey in it, so might be time for the just for men beards for all collie. But that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. I mean, like it's gas, isn't it? Another one of those creatures that we see all the time. We have around us. We have them as pets. They make wonderful pets. I I, I just have to go on a tangent about how brilliant they are as pets. If you get a young mouse, you can almost you know you can just keep it in your pocket they'll happily live in your pocket and run up your shoulder onto your arm and eat food and go back in there they're very very easy to <laughs> to train and and they're very clean it's a, a mis, misconception with rats and mice that they're dirty animals they really do like to keep themselves spotlessly clean mm. the one thing that they do do which is you know a bit sketch if you have them uh, uh, a, a big population of them around is that the males will urinate as they walk along to mark their territory kind of thing. Right. But there you go. Listen, a lot of Irish people in pubs will do that as well. So you can't really <laughs> judge the mice on that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to work on your suggestion and put vanilla in their water and see if we can get some beautiful smelling mice urine. <laughs> That's an old trick. If you have a couple of hundred pet mice on the go, uh, believe you me, uh, those males do like to be rather pungent after a while. So the old vanilla extract is a right. is a godsend because it stops your eyes falling out your head. <laughs> it really is uh, <laughs> really is useful. So when they're born, just go back to their reproduction. When they're born, they're blind, aren't they? Blind and hairless. They're called pinkies at that stage. Mm. You know, they're really helpless because the the gestation is very, very quick. It's only a couple of weeks for them to, to gestate and yep. As soon as they're born, then they're getting that nutritious milk uh, from the mother. And within a couple of months, they are, for all intents and purposes, adult mice and ready to reproduce again. Amazing. So it's, it's a real big, fast turnaround. And that's really because, you know, their lifespan in the wild isn't fantastic. It's only a year. And that's because, let's be honest, everything likes to eat mice. Everything. Mm. You know, they, they just are uh, one of those animals that are a massive chunk of that food web around them and very important to, again, and that's why we don't want to use uh, chemicals or poisons to kill them because if a mouse is poisoned then it staggers out into a field, something's going to eat it and that something is going to get affected. And how do they communicate between each other? I heard something to do with ultrasound, that they can hear ultrasound or they use ultrasound frequencies to communicate. Is that right? There's squeaks and there's mouse moans and mouse moans and all, all sorts. Yeah, so their sensitive ears <laughs> will uh, will pick up on distress calls. And, you know, if one mouse is after getting caught by, a, by an owl or something, it will let out that little cry. And, and and every other mouse would be gone off that area uh, straight away. Down again to that sensitivity in their ears and sensitivity of the whiskers. And in terms of our gang as well and in how far they travel, I heard that they sort of stick within about 10 metres of their, of their nest. Yeah. And the thing about it is once you get a certain growth in the population within an area, you do get as you can get a lot of tripoding. So the bigger males will push off the uh, the younger males and the teenage lads and right. and, 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 and that's where you get spread and that's where you'll you'll get, you know, one house on the road will get a couple of mice moving in and within mm. uh, within a, a month or two then they've run up the whole uh, the whole area. because that's just the way they're designed to behave in the world. You can imagine in in, in a field or a or a forest in India where they live naturally, yeah, they'd be getting bumped off fairly regularly by predators. So you just need that big numbers and that big kind of uh, that spread of mm. younger mice getting kicked out of territories to keep the the population viable as the, as the, as they go. Mm. And apparently they're very busy every night. So while we're all sleeping and while the cats are mooching around the kitchen um, outside the cupboard, apparently they make up to thirty visits a night to a food source. So Really busy little creatures as well. Yeah, you have to realise as well the smaller animals like mice. And that's why it's it's very fascinating to see, if, you know, how long they will live if they were given really ultra special care with no predators and, and, and given the best of care and being weighted on hand and foot. It, you know, the maximum you can really get a mouse to live for is about four years. And 
that's down to their biology. They're very busy, as you said, because they're always mm. on the go. They sleep for 12 hours, then they're on the go big time. And their heart is racing so much faster than theirs. Their metabolism is burning up energy so much faster than theirs mm. that they have to be constantly looking for food and keeping on moving. And they just have a very, uh, yeah, full on fast lifestyle. Live fast, die young, really? Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Although I don't think that tattoo would look as cool with a little mouse on it. <laughs> You're going into the biker bar to get the tattoo and you're like, it's scientifically accurate. <laughs> so, uh, so just looking in the cupboard again here, Colleen, I'm going to have to fill up the water bowl and get... In fact, I think Leo forgot to feed them the last couple of nights. There'll be, there'll be riots in our kitchen if we don't feed them again. <laughs> I tell you one thing, you're an absolute saint. There's not many people who will actively go out of their way to feed a population of mice that are living in their kitchen. So fair play to you. You don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. You really do. Fair play to you. <laughs> If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you and I have just had a really nice chat about mice and we finished the story up in a place where I thought the story about mice was finished and you thought the story of mice wasn't finished. And here's why we had two different opinions. So I wanted to talk about mice as purely as animals with these great adaptations who are a very successful species and who are just wonderful in their own way. Mm. And I didn't want to touch on subjects like the mice that are used in laboratories for experiments, or I didn't want to talk about them as pests because that's sort of how we, we always see mice. And I just wanted to remind people they're actually animals and they're fantastic animals. Yes. But you have a different opinion. You feel that there is another important part of the story of the mouse that does include the human side of things, don't you? Yeah, well, I think we are intrinsically linked as two separate species. Yeah. The mice came along with us and did well out of us. And in turn, we've done incredibly well out of mice. And I know it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, that, that you know, a lot of our lab work and, and, and a lot of our, our own health improvements have been based on laboratory experiments done on mice. But I think it's it's a disservice not to mention the fact that 
you know, we are so linked. We, we get a lot of our knowledge about our own anatomy, about our, you know, improvements in our, in our healthcare over the years, um, has been, has been, you know, based on work with lab mice and all their natural abilities, like their ability to reproduce well and adapt well in different circumstances, all that stuff we talk about. It really has given them, um, a great, for want of a better word, a great use for humanity as well to to improve our own health systems, to improve on our knowledge of how our bodies work and, and how mammalian systems work. And I think, yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. And for the most part, mice are looked at as one or two things, either as pinky in the brain, laboratory mice, or used for, you know, as as I just said, just used for medical experiments or used, used for testing one thing or another. Or they're considered pest species, just something that we have to scream at and get the pest control people in to get them out of our houses. And that is also a disservice to them. And you're completely correct in the approach you want to take. It's I just think both are valid and both are big parts of the of the natural history of them of the mice as a species, because they have diverged now thanks to humanity. They started off, especially the house mouse started off in India, as we were saying, and now they're all over the world and changing and, and evolving wherever they go in the magical ways they can. I think both both uh, areas should be dealt with and should be remembered, if that makes sense. It does. And you had something in particular called the Methuselah mouse that you wanted to talk about. What's that? Yeah, so there's, there's a, a prize, a scientific prize. It's called the Methuselah Prize. And, and Methuselah was uh, Noah's... I think he was his Noah's uncle or grandfather. Anyway, he's in the Bible. Look it up if the Bible is your thing. Um, he's 900 years old. So the Methuselah Prize is basically using mice to improve longevity. Scientists will either use genetic manipulation or they'll use uh, <laughs> pampering, for want of a better word. They'll give the uh, the mice everything they want, the best food, the most nutrition, less stress, all natural, no genetic manipulation. And they've they've gotten mice that should live one year to live four years using just natural kind of pampering. And mice with genetic manipulation, five years, nearly five years, I think it is. But it's a long time for, it's a 900-year-old mouse, really, when you think about it. It's, it's, five, it's five times its lifespan. And it's it's improving every year. And again, that's, that's going to leach... Um, that's going to leach into our own society and change us as a species as well. Because once they start learning how to do that in, in the smaller mammals, then they'll be able to start working on, on, on bigger ones and eventually us. And it will change us in ways we probably can't imagine. Imagine instead of, you know, till death to us part isn't 50 years down the line, it's 700 years. Like, I don't know if my wife has the patience for that shit. <laughs> Getting hassled from me for 700 years. But it, like, I mean, that's that's um, a kind of an interesting example of uh, how mice affect us as humans. They're not just pests. They're not just interesting and fascinating animals. Yeah, they are actually changing us as a species and helping us change and helping. And we 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 are learning so much about ourselves from them now. Do I think ethics should be better when it comes to spraying them with perfume so we don't get sore eyes? Of course I do. There's many, many levels to this thing. Yeah. But it's, it is just something I wanted to kind of have a little chat about um, because I do think it's important uh, for them as a species uh, to recognise that they they have uh, they have lent so much to us and, and, and we have, as, in, as I said, in turn affected them so much. Um both positively and negatively. Yeah. And likewise, I do understand that when when something becomes so populous that it, it can negatively impact on a species that's living next door to it. In in this case, we're talking about the human species being the, the one that's negatively often impacted by massive populations of mice. And I personally would always advocate for, um, if, you know, if, if mice populations do have to be controlled, I would always advocate for humane Humane, humane, humane. Oh, 100%. Because some of those awful things that are out at, at the moment, like glue traps where these yes. animals just get stuck to the glue and they gnaw off. The, like it, the, the stress that's involved in that is terrible. Um, no, it's awful. Yeah. Also poisons. We want to steer. Anybody who listens to this, if you do have a mouse problem, 
try and resolve it in any way you can without using sticky glue traps or poisons. Yeah. Because both of those things are a rotten, awful, horrific way for an animal to die. Yeah. And with the with the poison, um, that's still inside that animal that that's going to wander out into into an open field or an open area and get picked up by mm. a domestic cat, a fox, a badger. Uh, our raptors are getting decimated by um, some of the poisons that they're picking up because that's what they do. They hunt, especially owls are getting badly affected by by some of the, the rodenticides that are, are coming into their system. So. Again, it's worth talking about so people know that, you know, it's not a great idea. You can you can call out pest control specialists and ask them not to put down the poison, but to set traps for you or whatever, whatever humane way they can deal with it. But uh, yeah, we really want to steer clear of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but they are such wonderful creatures. So um, in recognition of the fact that they, they have evolved with us, they have moved with us. And then they've moved in with us. Let's not forget that they're animals as well. They're fantastic. Like, as I said before, I watched them running around, the one or two of them running around on um, on the windowsill. And uh, they're fascinating to watch. And they're beautiful. They're they're really quite beautiful when you see them up close. So dainty and delicate. They are. They are. That's the tour thing that, uh, you know, it's a lot less thought about. But that is, especially for me, like I've kept pet, pet mice for years. So that is... You know, I recognise how mm. cute they are because you do watch them and and mm. yeah, and how interesting they are and how intelligent they are as well. They're quite quite smart and yeah. So uh, the many facets of the wonderful and humble mouse. Yes, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that we can have these different point of views and meet somewhere in the middle because it's not that we have different point of views. It's just, I think it's great because you make me re reassess the way I look at things. Likewise. It's great having people like that. It's good to have people in your life that challenges your point of view. Yeah. Because uh, we can get stuck in the mud otherwise. And uh, thank you very much for being that person. Likewise, you give me different things to think about in terms of animals and how they relate to us. And... Um, Sometimes the uncomfortable aspects of things like conservation or as we're just talking about, you know, controlling populations of certain animals. And that makes me think differently and makes me uh, not sit down and, you know, start yelling my head off or something, but actually makes me really think about it in a different way and do my research, which is really good. You know, so it's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm not going to cancel you and you're not going to cancel me is basically what we're saying. <laughs> that's it, yeah. <laughs> Enough of that bloody stuff. <laughs> I can't wait to buy you a pint. <laughs> that's why I can't oh, wait Oh, stop. To I know, I know, I know, yeah. I know, I know. Roll on the vaccine. Exactly. Roll on the vaccine. to now our our interesting segment Crazy Critter News yes <gasps> jingle please it's Crazy Critter News Crazy Critter News you'll think you're on the booze with this Crazy Critter News <laughs> now okay that's my I love that jingle I, I really do I'm not embarrassed by it at all now um Yes, so today we're going to be talking about shite. Um, well, instead of talking shite, we're going to be talking about shite. Instead of talking shite. <laughs> very, very good. I like that. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if anybody knows it out there, but there is one particular animal in the world who actually does poos in the shape of a cube. No. Not unlike an oxo cube, yeah. So it's the wombat uh, marsupial from Australia. Wow. And they... Yeah, they poo out about a hundred of these cubes a day. And scientists were very curious as to why they were shitting bricks, literally. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, I know, yeah, I wish I had worked on that paper because I would have called it shitting bricks. But um, yeah, they, they couldn't figure it out. There was a couple of mathematical um, simulations worked on and, and, and a few theories but it wasn't really fitting together <laughs> so to speak Lego bricks <laughs> reference there um, so what they what they did was basically they got a CT scan of a, a dead um, 
wombat and uh, they checked its anus and its anus wasn't square shaped so that added to the mystery what they did was then they dissected the the dead wombat and they stuck a few balloons into the intestine now the intestine <laughs> of the wombats is very very long it's about nine meters and as they blew up the balloons inside it, they noticed certain areas were very tight and very constrictive and certain areas were a little bit looser. And as they were watching the poo as it went down through the tube, as they were following it, as it went down through the tube of the intestine, it went from a very liquidy, you know, chewed up grass and such uh, as, as it went along into a much more harder, uh, tougher and then eventually, in the last 17% of the intestine, cube-shaped uh, poo. Wow. Now, how did this happen? What was happening is, in those hard and soft areas, there's contractions. And what those contractions are doing are squeezing every little bit of nutrients out of the digestive matter, which is mainly plant matter and such. And it's getting all the nutrients and all the water out of it. And this is an adaptation for wombats to survive the really harsh Australian droughts. So it's very, very clever. God, that's incredible. Yeah. So as the poo is going through, it's getting squeezed, it's getting it's getting moulded and it's getting pushed down. Each square, they reckon, goes through 100,000 contractions to get it into this square wow. uh, cube-shaped poo. And then when it plops out, as I said, they do 100 of these poos a day. So that's one of the reasons why it gets into that weird square shape. And what happens then is even more interesting. The... Wombats would actually pile the poo up in little, right. in little uh, stacks and they use that for both communication and the surface area of the cube shape uh, allows for the smell of, say, a female who's ready to reproduce to go further mm. in, in, on the wind to attract mates. Wow. So, yeah, it's like a square <laughs> little calling card made of poo and... I, I just thought the whole story was crazy and very, very interesting. And it just goes to show how uh, scientists have a lot of time on their hands to be <laughs> looking at the square shit of a wombat. But no, it really is fascinating. And, and I'm delighted that they actually kind of... There's still a lot to learn, obviously. There's still a lot of, you know, speculation. These are all theories as to, like what the the use of this poo is but yeah i think it's it, we're getting there and it's you know really really interesting stuff amazing thank you so much for that that's our crazy critter news correspondent collie ennis ah <laughs> oh, thank you very much back to the studio with you guys oh that was great fun that was really good Critter Shed is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts, as is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You can find more great shows at thewarren.ie. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.